If you'd like to support this podcast, you can do so by visiting chriscarl.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find links to both Patreon and PayPal, where you can make donations. Any and all support is massively appreciated and a huge thank you to everyone that has supported thus far. ridiculous it is to, to be able to say that you've been kind enough to give me your time to come back on for a second occasion obviously last time i think i fawned over you so much it was ridiculous you're one of the biggest photographers in the world one of my absolute favorites one of my biggest inspirations but i, I want to push you around a little bit today and ask you some follow-up questions on stuff that we previously touched on but to start off with it's been a crazy 12 months eight months nine months whatever it's been I think that you're now back on some occasions able to actually do some stuff with a camera. How have you gotten through the last nine months and, and what's been the challenges? It's been really tough. Um, we, uh, we started back in March when we were told that our borders were going to get closed, which meant my entire European tour, has, which was sold out, we had to cancel. We had an American tour after that. We had to cancel that. So pretty much at the 1st of March, we were booked for 80% of 2020. And by the end of March, we had an empty calendar, not a single booking on our books. And I have an overhead of $400 a day. Wow. That's my studio, my staff and all of that stuff. So look, we're a little bit we're a little bit future proof in the way of we, we do have had our online inspire for tutorials. So we just pushed that hard very quickly and got uh, at least a base covering just to absolutely cover our costs. Um, we did get our landlord was really nice and instantly drop our rent to half. And we're still half now. He hasn't lifted it yet. We Our government was very good. We got a like a $20,000 tax credit. So our like your VAT, our BAS, um, they gave us $20,000 credit on that. So if you didn't have to pay the government any um, tax, you actually got a check back from them up to that value. Wow. And we had a couple of um, $10,000 here and there grants that were given to different states. Like we're in the worst state in Australia. We got locked down for nearly seven months, like complete lockdown. You only had four year reasons to leave house. Um, for a long time, you can only let, you can only travel within five kilometers of your house, and you can only be out for one hour a day. And it's only four reasons you'd be out for that one hour a day. You weren't allowed anybody at your house, your family. And in this time, I became a grandfather, so I wasn't allowed to see my daughter or my grandson. So it was it was pretty tough. And um, look, we got through it all right. I I had a little bit of a breakdown when our second wave of restrictions came in and they were even tougher again, only because the government had stuffed up. Right. Like the only reason we're in restrictions is the government made a mistake, infected a whole heap of people, and they didn't do their tracing properly. But long story, but we got through it. We're in 21 now, so we survived 20. We're, <laughs> as of pretty much 1st of December, we were legally allowed to shoot somebody in our studio without a mask on. But we we couldn't believe how... It came about. We just got booked solid right up, right through up till Christmas. We were just booked every single day, which sort of at least helped. It sort of got our foot, uh, got us back on track. 
during the time of COVID, we just ran out of stuff to edit. We completely ran out of footage. We ran out of anything to do for Inspire. We ran out of things just to edit to put on anywhere. Like I dug out some old stuff. I found a hard drive that I'd lost, which was a bonus because there's some really cool work on it. <laughs> it's a long story, but my old assistant had lost it. I'd completely forgotten about it. Um, but yeah, we, we got through it. it. It's been tough and I, I can't see it getting any easier, because especially in Australia, still our borders are shut. We can't leave. You need a permit to leave, let alone try and get back in again. And even within in Australia, traveling is really, really hard because as soon as one state gets one case, they shut the, everyone shuts the borders on them and locks people out of their houses. So... Well, that, let's talk about that, that immediate opening back up. So when, when you got the opportunity to get back in the studio and shoot, did you feel any kind of rustiness? Did you feel like it took a while to get back in the swing? Yeah, no, it wasn't. It, like it was so good to lift the camera up again. It's just so the, the first week of shooting and I was just shooting really, really boring. Uh, we, we worked for a very large wool company and we had to shoot nearly a year worth of their new catalogs because they couldn't shoot for a year. So we're flat out just shooting wool. So some was on models, some was flat lay, some was on babies, but it's normally stuff that you know I really don't enjoy doing, but it was just great to right. get back in the studio again. And the best part was actually interacting with people again and being creative again, because even though it's just wool, I'm there going, I reckon we need some color next to that you know, that jumper and needs something colorful next to it. It's too bland. And all of that just was sort of like this buzz. One thing I feel like in the last, I don't know how things have gone with with this side of things over in Australia. We had a an advertising campaign that was put out by the government here that basically said that people that work in the creative industries should consider training in IT and cyber because I guess the long and short of it was that you're fucked and that you decided to pick something that wasn't COVID proof. Therefore, you should retrain. And it went down an absolute treat with the, the creative community over here. Everyone was really angry. It got pulled after like two days. They apologized for it. And I feel like one thing that's come out of the last the last sort of spell of this, especially I think from um, we had our second lockdown in November, and it feels like since around then, people have really started to appreciate how much the people that work in the creative industries have helped them get through this because everyone's happy to sit at home and watch Netflix or sit at home and flick through their phone, look at photos on their phone and so on. But it's actually the creative industries that have kept all of those things going and supplied all of the content for that. So to to want to push everyone out and almost act like it's not an important side of of work for a lot of people has kind of backfired because it's it's obviously been proven to be one of the few things keeping people sane at such a difficult time. Yeah, but they're most likely thinking if we can up the suicide rate, there's less people we have to worry about with the COVID. <laughs> sorry, I didn't say that. Um, <laughs> the, yeah, look, sorry, I've, I have not listened to so much music. I haven't. Um, I've spent a fair bit of time in my own time on YouTube because Netflix and all that I just find commercially boring. But YouTube, the amount of amazing stuff I found on YouTube, which has basically kept me sane. If um if we can like dive into one of my harder questions for you, I found you first of all years and years ago uh, for some of your quite provocative personal work, which is some of my favorite. Had like religious elements, interesting. One of my favorite images actually um, revolves around pregnancy and and religious elements and. <laughs> it, it, I just I really do enjoy provocative art because I feel like so, and I, I'm 
painfully guilty of this. I'm in no way able to sort of stand against my own criticism here, but I feel like a lot of people that work in creative industries create pretty things and they don't create substance. So they don't create anything that makes you think. They just create something that's like fine. It's nice. It's very nice to look at. It'll, you know, it's nice. I think is probably the, the most painful compliment anyone gives me about my work. So that's probably a good word to go with. Um, when it comes to sort of the world that we're now living in, it feels like every week we're finding out new things are no longer acceptable. New things are offensive. New things are, you know, not okay by the new standards that are being created, I think by about six people on Twitter. How do you feel like the future of provocative art and provocative photography, especially when it comes to fashion? Do you feel like, do you feel like it's dying or will there be a resurgence? I, I think there'll be, well, I'm sorry, I won't say think, I'm hoping there'll be a resurgence. I think there's two things that scare me. One thing my grandfather said to me, it sticks in my brain. He showed me a comic book and it was uh, Buck Rogers of the 21st century. And when all this stuff was written, nothing that was in there was ever been invented. Right. But he had everything from laser guns, mobile phones, submarines, all these stuff that had never been invented was in these comic strips. And then I looked at modern day sci-fi movies. You look, nobody ever laughs. Everybody's wearing exactly the same clothes. Right. Nobody. Everybody is in a box like a controlled, this is the way you think, this is the way you walk, this is the clothes you wear, this is what you eat. Nobody's overweight, everybody's exactly the same. Now you start looking at things like Star Wars and all of the, oh, any sci-fi movie, you'll start to see that this is what we've actually started to create. We're dumbing us down. So we don't want people thinking because if people can think, then they have uproars. They vote governments out. They want to have change. If we numb everybody down, they just follow like sheep. Right. It does feel like at the moment, what we're seeing in a lot of places is bizarre in the sense that previously you've had, and obviously this is a photography podcast and I'm kind of, I want to stick as close as we can to the photography side of it or the artistic side of it, but it feels like this is the first time that we're artistically censoring ourselves as as people it's it, uh, i'm sure there are governmental elements involved and there's definitely an overreach everywhere at the moment but it feels like when it comes to the general public the actual general public are starting to censor themselves and they're starting to put caps on their own imagination themselves and i don't think we've ever had that before and i think that's what scares me right now is that it's not you know, governments or, or authorities are stepping on stuff and it's making people be artistic as, a, as an act of rebellion, which has always been a place where the best art has come from. But instead, it feels like the actual general public are censoring themselves, which is just an absolutely obscure situation to find ourselves in. I've got a, a nastier side of what it is. And if you don't like it, you can always cut it out. But <laughs> at the moment, there is three to four major companies that run the entire world. And what goes on in this world is what they decide to allow to go up. Facebook, right. Twitter, Google, Apple. If you upset one, so Tumblr got caught out. They had child pornography on. Yeah, bad. That should be delayed, of course. And as soon as they found out, they removed it straight away. But then Apple turned around and said, unless you go G-rated, we're taking your app off the Apple store. Right. So Tumblr was a place where you'd go to find amazing fashion. Because you could have fashion with the girl's boobs out and things like that. Now you can't find it there because they're G-rated. Pinterest is G-rated. 
Look at all the major sites. The only thing that's not G-rated is YouTube. But as soon as you have anything that's adult content, it's now hidden from you. You have to find a way. It's not going to get recommended to you. You need to find that person's page. Then you have to stumble across something. Right. It's almost like it's the, the beginning thread of the jumper. You, ha- you find something on Pinterest, you have to go off Pinterest to actually follow the thread because they'll, they'll only have a very small sort of pinhead of what that person's doing or what that style is, and then the rest of it is covered by that censorship. Yeah, and this is, this is part of the problem. And we've also got the council cancelled con- culture, and you've seen it in the UK with the statues being pulled down. And yep. things like that. Just because someone found they said one word wrong, all of a sudden they're bad. Regardless of what good they ever did, they're bad. And where I'm seeing it a bit, and even my assistant said she doesn't want to ever become famous. Right. Because someone will look up her history and cancel her because of her MySpace name. <laughs> well, well, Rowan Atkinson's just come out and said that it's become medieval the way people are just roaming around looking for the next witch to burn. Um, yeah. Which does feel pretty much what it's like. As far as like when it comes to well, when you're putting stuff together, say for a, for a personal project, if you were to put something together like some of that previous stuff that I'd spoken about, are you now considering any of that when you do what you do, or is is the sort of solution to cancel culture to not acknowledge it? I'm not acknowledge it. I disagree with it. I I don't think um, I don't think someone in 2021 can put their morals on someone in 1960. Right. Because that wasn't the morals of the day. So I think as long as you sit within the morals of the day, you're fine. So there's certain things that there's certain, there's lots of things that were okay, which aren't okay now. And I think if depends how you portray that, um, some of my work are called mirrors, and they're mirrors for a reason because everybody tells me about themselves. Right. No, nobody knows why that girl was holding a machine gun or wearing 10-inch stripper heels or what. Nobody has an idea what my reason for. They've made their own reason up. So this is the whole idea, and this is something I try and push for photographers to understand that if we have a book and the book is telling you about this little house on top of a hill with a dead tree and a picket fence and a car sitting out the front and a dog at the front gate. Every one of us has a different looking tree, house, dog, car. Yep. Right? But if the author put a photo or a picture of what it was, it just destroyed everybody's interpretation of that story. Right. Because you're going to bring your own history, your own visions that you've grown up with is going to become that house and that dog. Does that make sense? So with a photo, no, no, hundred percent. But do you do you feel like do you feel like people's reliance on social media attention then, or, or just the way that people are now artistically, the way that they're being taught artistically, those that are being taught, or the way that people are seeking out likes and attention? I know last time. You made me laugh with the expression influencers, which I think is brilliant. I don't think I've ever used a word so much <laughs> since. Um, but do you feel like that creators are too insistent on being in charge of the interpretation and that they've had to s- sort of sterilize their work to prevent people misinterpreting because they, they want to, they're almost control freaks. Whereas what you're saying is you create something and what the way someone interprets it says as much about them as it does about the piece. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah, 100%. The only problem is, is it's very hard to display it anywhere now because 
all of social media is so G-rated. Right. And they're just cancelling anything that they, whoever's decided that this is our morals, and you don't even get a say upon it. Even to, I have a, we have a group on Facebook, which is a, a photography group. We have stuff cancelled and we get a warning of a picture we haven't even seen yet and we haven't even approved. So it's been put up. Their robot seen it, said, we need to send this group a warning. It hasn't been posted. Nobody's seen it, but we still get a warning that our group's going to get pulled down, but we can't even see the picture that, that they did this to. We did manage to find one picture. It was a girl in a, in a freaking bikini, but the bikini was skin-colored, but you still couldn't see anything. Right. And that, that type of stuff is making it hard. How are you supposed to put up something that is got a bit of edge, a bit of controversy, if you've got the platforms that the masses can see, just go, oh, no, we think that is racist. We think this is sexist. We think this is whatever. Yeah. Well, you've got to start thinking like a robot to be able to outsmart their robots, which obviously is what a lot of people sadly are doing. Well, yeah, I know a few people have put a picture of a girl holding two rock melons with a, a glass of red wine where her crutch would be, and a robot sees that as a naked woman. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I just feel like we're squashing art at the moment. It's very frustrating. Obviously, I don't want to make this too, too much of a, a downer because I'm, I'm super excited to hear that you're actually back shooting and hopefully hopefully we'll get that way here soon too to, to, to kind of stick to that same that same area when it comes to like brands i know we talked last time about um ecom kind of destroying fashion models to an extent because there's a lot of models that just know how to be an ecom model when they have their five or six poses and they just cycle through them in different outfits in front of a white backdrop and then that's being a model now if you know what i mean in in in, in the in the grand sense yeah we call it the macarena they have a dance. Yeah, that's right. That's about right. Yeah. Five poses. <laughs> we call it the Macarena. When it comes to yourself, and I'm assuming that you're the person that's that's picking out the people that you photograph, especially for your work. What do you look for in in a model's book or in their portfolio or in a, in images of a model that tell you that that's someone that you can work with, that someone that can do more than just that? Uh, predominantly, I'm looking for. When I look at five of their pictures, I can see five different expressions in their eyes. It's not just the one eye, which is what am I going to have for dinner tonight? <laughs> or do I have to walk the dog this afternoon? Or yeah, you, everything away from putting any emotion into a picture, this just blank face, just uh, nothing. There's their head moves, their face just doesn't change. It's just pretty. Um, I'm looking for someone that one picture is saying, you know, go get effed, the next picture, she's going, oh, I like the look of you. The next picture is going, what the F? You know, just there's something behind the eyes. And if I can get that, that at least gives me a starting point to work with them. Every now and then, well, there's a couple of new uh, models I'm working with at the moment that Beck found me. And yeah, it's it's. I found that videoing is the best way to train them now. So instead of shooting stills, you make them do a video because they can't just stand there and do the Macarena. Right. Looks terrible on a video. Well, I've seen a, I've seen a few times with you, you've done this thing where, which is almost the opposite of what I would think would work, but you, you're getting these phenomenal images out of it. And I don't, th- I think it comes down to personality as much as anything, where they are, they're a model that cycles and they are cycling through poses and you will s- sort of staunchly outright say, next, like, keep moving, keep moving. Like, I don't like it, keep moving, as opposed to 
like take the picture for the sake of taking the picture. Because I guess that in your case would encourage the habit of continuing to do that, if that makes sense. Yeah, look, with a, a new model or with someone at the start of a shoot, yeah, I'll tend to click a little bit just to make them start to move. But then I start to slow it down so they have to give me something good. And um, I just finished doing a, a tutorial right now on the exact same thing where the model, it's a very tight fixed shot. And I had to use all – I wanted little tiny different expressions so I had to throw key- keywords and just little things and the amount of different expressions we got in her face, like every frame was a completely different look. And that's it's there's something that we saw um, oh, Cindy Crawford, her daughter got a Vogue magazine that's on American talk show, and they showed uh, talking to Cindy as well about it. And Cindy said, Avedon said to her, every single photo has to have a thought. If you don't have a thought, I don't have a photo. Right. So Cindy pushes that. You're simple moving into what are you thinking? Who are you looking at? What's your emotions right now? Otherwise, every picture is just stale and needs to have a depth into that look. And the only way to do that is the, the model has to either feel something, like physically feel, oh, I'm pretty or I'm cold, I'm whatever, or a question or a, a looking at somebody who's doing something and they're reacting off it. What, one thing that's always crazy to me with, with what you're doing is just finding that balance where you're kind of keeping the trust, you're keeping the momentum, but you're also pushing someone that hard because especially, I, I mean, not, you said I can't offend you because you're an Aussie. No, you won't offend me. You have one or two years on me. Um, I'm 32 and I've not been doing photography for the longest time ever. And one thing I find with my generation and younger is that they're not always the best at being pushed. They don't always like being kind of taken out of their comfort zone because we're kind of now training people to just live within their comfort zone. With, with what you're doing, you are having to push people a little bit. And not in terms of comfort zone, I just mean in terms of trusting their own ability and having to trust that all right, this isn't working and I have to take the photographer's word that we need to go in this direction. How do you go about kind of towing that line between pushing them too far with that, that kind of, I don't want to say antagonism, but it kind of is in a, in, a, in a kind of artistic way and, you know, fluffing their pillows as it were and making them feel like they're the best model ever and keeping the confidence up? Um, I've, there's two ways I can take this. I can take it the way that's going to help the photographers who don't have a portfolio like mine, and that is let your model pick the type of picture they want to do. Then you just say to them, I have to push you to get that. That is just not a click. There's emotion behind the eyes. I'm going to have to push, push, push. Have I got permission? And I, Anna, who I've been training, I've, I've shot her twice now. I, I this less, last shoot, I asked her, "Where do you want to go? Where do you want to go with your modeling?" She's a singer as well, and she basically told me she wants to go as high as she can with modeling, singing, and whatever else can c- come of it. And I said, "Well, I'm gonna have to push living Christ out of you. There's no, you're just gonna have to. I'm gonna every time you come in, I want a better shot." which means I'm going to push you. You get me a better shot, I'm going to push you for an even better shot, and I'm going to then push you for even harder. And she goes, push me as hard as you like. Right. And even back, back in the early days when Beck was 17, 18, I wouldn't do the stuff I'd do to anybody now. It's just I made Beck stand practically like 
wearing nothing in the middle of winter, I sprayed her down with freezing cold water to get this goose pimple effect. And she was going blue and shaking. That was a shot. And I said, well, she wanted to be a high-end fashion model. I said, well, yep, you're going to have to shoot summer catalogs in the middle of winter and winter catalogs in the middle of summer. You need to learn how to toughen it up. Right. And Beck said, go for it. I don't care what you do, go for it. So I I'm very I don't know if you watch much more work work with models. I don't hold my tongue. I actually the first thing I do is look at a model and tell them what I don't like about their face. Right. <laughs> and most of it is they already know it, but it's not their normal face. It's their camera face. Right. And I'll say I hate it when I don't like these lines you get here. I don't like it when you get this puffy jaw. That yeah, I hate it. It comes in more. I said yeah, they're nervous. They're camera faces. That's not your real face. I don't see that face now. But I lift the camera or I point my finger at you. I get that look straight away. Right. So I'm gonna train you to get that out. So where most and I might say to you, yeah, look, you're looking a bit potty today. I'm going to show you a trick to fix that. Don't. And at worst comes to worst, I can liquefy the pot, but I can't fix your face. If you're posing every good thing going, oh, I'm looking potty today wearing a bikini, I'm going to get crap photos. If you go, oh, I'm looking fine, Peter's going to fix it, because he actually told me he can see it and he can fix it, I don't care. Right. I might have a cyclops on my head. Peter said, yeah, I see that. I can fix it. Don't worry about it. Just pose. So it takes all of those things which back the models back. The other thing is I shoot tethered a lot. So they see all the pictures. And the whole rule is a shit picture goes in a rubbish bin. So don't even look at it. Right. We're just going to delete anything that's crap. I don't care if we shot 100 frames, we keep one. If that one's a cover of a, a magazine, who needs to see any other picture? Have you ever yeah. seen the picture that didn't make the cover? You only see the picture that made the cover. So the rest can just go in a rubbish bin. Yeah, I mean, great photographers take bad photos all the time. It's... Sometimes that's the vehicle to get to the great ones, right? Yeah. When it comes to what we're talking about here with like, I, I guess you're working out other photographers' habits from the models a lot of the time. When you're working with models that have these, the Macarena, as you put it, that's kind of indicative of the culture. But when you're working with models that have learned bad habits for you, you're, you're kind of undoing the work of other photographers trying to get your shot. Is it easier from that point of view then to work with someone that has little to no experience as opposed to someone that's got those habits quite deeply ingrained? Um, yeah, look, no experience as long as they're just not the pretty girl next door who's going to be devastated if she's not the pretty girl next door. <laughs> so I'm, ta I'm talking about that perfect little Barbie doll that has no expressions, just a Barbie doll. She walks down, everyone says, you're so pretty, but there's nothing behind it. It's just it's plastic fantastic. And we get a few of them. Um, what? Look, I, someone who's really keen to create really cool images and hasn't been destroyed by photographers, yeah, I like working with them. We do workshops all over the world, and one of the things we do at every workshop is to teach the photographers how to deal with models. And the very first thing we do is I go through this little thing showing doesn't matter if the model's been working for one year or 10 years, I prove the model has got no idea how to model. <laughs> I know this right. sounds really bad. Every single model says to me, why was I never shown this before? Every model. I've never had a model who hasn't said, my God, why wasn't I shown this before? Right? It's, a, it's a, too hard to do this on a podcast, but it's basically getting them to do a few things. And I say, now that I show you this, you will never be able to do what you just did before. And they can't. 
Right. And then they go, why won't, why, why don't people teach models? So that's the first thing I do. The second thing I do is I let the actual models say to the group of photographers in the room what they hate about photographers. Right. And the photographers absolutely dumbfound is the number one hate of photographers is a photographer who clicks and says nothing. Right, right, right. Who just goes click, 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 nice, click, 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 yes, nice, click, click. That is the worst photographer for a model. They absolutely hate it. It's giving you no direction, no feedback. They've got no idea... Do they want me to look pretty? Do they want me to look powerful, strong? They're, they're not giving me nothing. They're just, I'm just moving and I don't know why I'm moving. Why, and I'm getting question marks in my head so I know my face is not looking good. They're not giving me any feedback to what they're trying to create. They might be just having me in a nice dress and so I see this pretty girl in a nice dress. i got a camera. I'm just going to click. And there's no feedback or working together as a team. The second most hated photographer is the one that has a picture and then tries to get your hand here and moves your pinky to here. And he actually puts <laughs> his hands on and moves the pinky, puts it here, turn your head, turn it up a bit, bring your elbow here to now make it look sexy. Right. And the thing the photographer did, didn't realize is the picture they're copying, the model was actually moving at 100 miles an hour, and that's when the photographer clicked, which is most fashion. And as soon as you stop it, it's just such a bad position. The model feels dumb, so of course she's not going to get a good expression on her face. Yeah, 100%. It's, it's down to like... It's down to like Okay, if I could jump back quickly, actually, I want to ask you one thing because you said about the photographer that clicks and says nothing clicks and says nothing. Now, the micromanager, we understand that's that's someone that's replicating. The second one you're talking yep. about is someone who's replicating and they don't really understand the process that led to the original image in terms of the human element, right? But the, the first one, the guy that's clicking and not saying anything, why isn't he saying anything? Because he's scared to say something so he doesn't know what to say. Right. He thinks he's going to say something that's dumb or the model's going to look down at him. He doesn't know what to say. He's not getting the picture he wants but doesn't know what to say to get the picture he wants because he's shy. And I I have a a few things I say. What is going to get you a better picture if the model's uncomfortable or the photographer's uncomfortable? Right. Right. So get uncomfortable. Yeah. And make the model comfortable. And I had one guy at one of my workshops, and he came up to me three times. And he said, look, I'm really sure. I just don't know what to say. And I said, just say anything. He goes, no, but you don't get it. I don't know what to say. And I said, no, say the word anything. He just looked at me. So I went up to the model and went, you're right. We're going to go. All right. So anything, 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 anything. Oh, anything. Oh, anything, anything. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm sorry. If you want to know what, if you want to see proof of what I just said, look up Nick Knight and watch some Nick Knight working live from about ten years ago. All he said was, "Yeah, yeah." Right. He'd be shooting Kate Moss, and all he go, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yep, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah." That's all he said. That's all. I use the word "cool." Right. Like someone keeps people say, "I got to make a T-shirt that says says cool, 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 cool," because it's the way you say the word. They're not actually listening to the story you're trying to tell them. They're after feedback. Right. Is there also the problem as well of maybe people think that you need to have some kind of technical? There's there's like a technical jargon to what you're supposed to be saying as the photographer. When in actual fact, you're just supposed to be conveying whether it's working, whether it's not, and then 
using just basic human words to say what you're looking for. So like when, when I'm photographing a person, if I want them to be, be cocky, be, you know, be cold, it's pretty, they're pretty straightforward expressions like that a human being will understand because they've had a human, you know, they, they've had a life as a human being. Whereas it may be some photographers feel like there's, there's some kind of hidden photography jargon that like special words that we use that pull out certain looks. Or I guess, like you said, but the second idea is just you take someone else's picture and you literally build someone into that exact position. They, they think that there's some kind of hidden language. Yeah, no, there's no hidden language. Every photographer, every photographer that I look up to have their own language that they use. Every single photographer. Uh, Helmut Newton was very abrupt, very bossy, very German, very, you will do, you will do, move that. He was very much that. But the model knew exactly what was expected. And you get something like Peter Lindbergh. He would take a little bit of time and he'd be more like the grandfather and just get the emotion into the picture in his way. So, yeah, it's there. There is no, there's no book that I can write or no book anyone can write to say what a photographer needs to say. He needs to find a way to. Every model is different. I have to use different words with every model. Well, I remember talking to talking years ago to a guy in a pub, and he told me this absolutely useless fact that supposedly pigeons from all around England have accents. So if you get a pigeon from Liverpool and compare it to a pigeon from London, you can actually hear a, a different accent in that the way that they make noises. And it got it kind of got me thinking with regards to a lot of other stuff that I've done, like our chefs, because I used to be a chef, our chefs in different cultures gonna be completely different in the way that they actually work, the way that they interact with each other, you know, different from France to England to Malaysia to Australia to wherever. But with photography, obviously, you've just said a little while ago that you've done workshops around the world. You've worked with models around the world. Do you find that different countries, their models have sort of different accents or different attitudes that are very specific? Like, is there such a thing as like a Russian model's attribute or a or a, an English model's attribute or an Australian model's attribute? Are they different or is, is it literally down to the, just the individual person? Uh, the Russians. Oh, my God. The Russians are incredible. <laughs> Seriously, every Russian model I've worked with, I've worked with, I worked with four in China. I've worked with two or three in Milan, uh, a couple in London. Just every time I work with them, it's always the, the last one in Milan I worked with. She's coming, I go, Oh my God, you're Russian, aren't you? And she goes, Yes. I said, Oh, this is going to be the best hour of my life. Cause I only had her for an hour. And I don't know, it's just the, the way women are brought up in Russia. They're just so used to being shat on the whole time. They understand they've got to work 10 times harder as a female than a male. And they know that their looks is what's going to make them money because that's the only way they can make money back in Russia as a young model. Right. With them, look, but I've got some of the you know, some of the Italian models I work with, Tess. Oh, my God. I haven't shot Tess in two years now. It's killing us. We've been texting each other and she's dying to do a shoot again. There's... And I just click with models from every country. It's a model from Israel, Danny. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to say that. Uh, seriously, I can go around the world and pick out some of my favorite models in every country in the world. And I'm not going to, except for the Russians, it's because the way the Russian models have to work, they pretty much just, they'll do anything, I don't care. 
it's a paid job. I'll do whatever you want. I need pay. And if I do a really good job, you'll book me a second time. That's how they think of things. They're, and then once you treat them like a real person, uh, that just it just comes out. They just they get the best pictures in the world. As soon as I don't treat them like an object and treat them like a real person and talk a bit, they're going, my God, I've never had this before. And they just go to that next level. Right. But do you find like, um, obviously you have, you can, I mean, you clearly have your preference there, which is great. But do you find that has social media kind of leveled that out with, with regards to say like an American compared to an Australian, a huge geographical difference. Um, and culturally, I think quite a massive difference as well, but everyone's kind of, I mean, we talked last time, you, you mentioned, like I said earlier, influencers and people using social media the way that they are. We've talked about the Macarena. It does seem like there's been almost a, a uniforming of modeling, regardless of background in a lot of cases. Do, do you feel like that that's kind of wiped out what an Australian model is compared to, say, an American model? Yeah, the, the influencers, it, it doesn't matter what country you get into. If you get hit with an influencer, they're the same. That, does, that doesn't change anywhere. The one thing I do find that I do find the European models are most likely the best most enjoyable for me to work with outside of Australia because whenever I find them in America or wherever, they're always at this different level. They're all, I don't want to use the word culture, but they seem to understand it's more than just a pretty face. Right. Whereas a lot more of, the problem is I'm comparing it with some of the American models I've had that have been the girl next door. It's a pretty girl next door. But then in New York, in fact, New York, there's been four or five amazing American models I've worked with in New York. But New Yorkers have this different culture. Yeah. They have, uh, there is a different culture. Whereas in LA and down Florida in that area, you do find them a little bit, you know, straight out of the pages of influenza magazine or dolly or it, that they're, they're all a little bit too plastic they don't seem to have a soul yeah and i want to say it's not across it's just this is the models that the agencies have so yep. real world um people in america are fine it's just that when they get into that agency those the agencies do this manipulation of them which i think creates them about like that but in new york i've, I've had some great models in new york a couple of really good models in um, Boston, but I tend to the better models I've had in LA have tended to be outsiders who are living in LA, not so much the born and bred LA. But there'll be the one or two girls I have had that will be good, but I just I meet too many models. Well, I feel like New York, New York City, especially. I haven't been to Boston, but I do feel like that sort of the Upper East area of the United States is much more European in the way that they view themselves. I mean, they have the same European level of anger, that, which I think is missing <laughs> in a, a lot of the rest of America where people are a bit too happy with themselves. But it definitely feels like I, I've been to New York um, uh, up until this year, every year for the last uh, four or five years. And I just go there for a week on my own and I just talk to people, take pictures, walk around, kind of just try and integrate a little bit and just and enjoy it for what it is. And New York feels like a European city where you can buy American food, basically. It doesn't feel like an American city in the same way like San Francisco is. I remember San Francisco feeling bizarre compared to New York. I mean, there's, there's a whole heap of problems in San Francisco, but it felt completely different. Actually, just to jump back on something you said a second ago, and it's kind of an interesting thread to pull here. So, you know, social media is creating 
influencers uh, as we've as we've now designated them which again is definitely your word I'm stealing but you've mentioned that agencies are taking on people as especially in certain parts of America where there's not a lot of personality there's it's they're, they're very much cookie cutter does that feed up the chain though does that feed up towards the magazines and stuff becoming more and more cookie cutter or are the agencies doing that because that's what the magazines are asking for oh, it's a bit of both it's well firstly the bulk of the work that agencies are getting these days is the cookie cutter the macarena the that just e-commerce rubbish like mm-hmm. I see it. I definitely saw it in LA, and I see it in Australia that the agencies really have come to this tunnel. That this is where their girls are going to get the most work. It's going to be really lowly paid, but we can get them all work. Whereas to get one a billboard, we're only we'll be lucky if we get two billboards a year. Right. And that's how they look at it. They're not. They're saying, yeah, we can get these girls out at least to one gig a week. But a billboard, we're lucky if we can get the entire agency two billboards a year. So that whole going for that big side, a lot of the everyday agencies, they've just chased where the dollars are. And, and especially with advertising that, all of the, everyone's budget is shrinking. Like the advertising agency still wants to charge the same to the client, but they're paying less and less for the talent and less and less for the photographer and everything. So the agency can still pull the money they want to pull. So I, th- I think it's working that way. But then... And this is for your listeners to look up. Look up Alexander McQueen's latest friggin' um, video he's put out on YouTube. Unbelievable. Absolutely to die for. It's real fashion. And it's one-off fashion. A lot of the stuff could only be done once. And I'm talking about two stunning high-end hawk couture models wearing amazing gowns walking up the Thames at low tide in mud. <laughs> And then laying in the stinky times mud and doing the angel like you do in the snow. Right. In, the, in a $300,000 gown. Everybody I've shown this to just goes, oh my God. And I just say, that is fashion. And we have to bring that back. It's not about how you see the gown at some big ball. It's how you see the... the the gown, the earthiness of what this creation's about. It's not about glitz and glam. It's about uh, the yin and yang, taking something beautiful and put it into something disgusting because it's not where you'd always see it. So it captures your eye straight away. I'm very strong about the best photos are the ones that you don't see every day. And I most I said it last time to you, macro photography, aerial photography, uh, stop frame, slow motion, super fast motion video, all those things capture your eye because you don't actually see that with your real eyes. Yep. So as soon as someone does something you can't see with your real eyes, it captures you. So now you get someone in you know, a $20,000 gown and make them roll in the mud in the Thames River. You're not going to see that every day. Right. So it's kind of like the 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 opposite of so with with those other types of photography of like macro or high speed video or anything like that you're taking the way that you are physically capable of seeing the world around you and and that's what's catching you but with fashion the trick is to change the reality is to change the actual the actual world that people are living in fact that's what I've always found with older fashion like going back to the 90s and 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 previous and I think the 80s was was a real real big time for this was 
just completely creating worlds to put a model within. And then that was the shoot. And that's what caught yeah. people was that it was, it was not something you could ever possibly walk in on. You could never find that on any, on any street. You could never go into a club or a bar or anywhere and see what you were seeing in fashion adverts because it was not trying to make reality look prettier. It was literally creating an entire new universe to put the model within. It was capturing your eye because I don't normally see this. I need to look at this. It is that simple. Doing something that, and it can't be like clickbait. It can't be something like that stupid. It has to be something like there's a depth and you're trying to see that depth. And it's, I I don't know, I've done a lot of soul searching over 2020 to see where I'm going to come out in 21. And I am going to get a lot more arty again. I have basically got sick and tired of uh, my commercial work's my commercial work, but I've gone a little bit back on the subject you're going. I've gone a little bit secure, a little bit tame. I want to go back to creating images I used to create seven years ago when the fashion industry was still going. Because I don't have those clients anymore. I haven't stuck been chasing that work. Well, I haven't been putting that work out to attract them because they're not there. But I'm um, at the other thing is you put the something out there that catches people, you create a new job. You put something out that everyone else is putting out, nobody sees it. Well, this is what I was going to ask you about really. And, and it's a pretty, pretty perfect segue that you've intentionally laid out for me as a fantastic <laughs> podcast guest. It is, it's only is because just... my drinks run out. <laughs> <laughs> I need to be quick. I'll take a break in a second. No, it's all right. You're fine. But what I was going to kind of lead into is just finding it too easy. And obviously you get to a certain skill level and you get your style somewhat co- compartmentalized. You know what it is that makes up a Peter Coulson image and you have the skill to do it yourself, obviously, because you're the one that's developed the framework. Is it then fish in a barrel time and how do you, I mean, you're obviously alluding to kind of creating more provocative images, creating more artistic fashion images, but how do you throw a spanner in the works of being too good at what you do? I, yeah, that I don't see. Like I get bored if I'm not pushing. So even when I get um, a stunning model in front of me, I got good light coming. I need something a bit more than that. I need, like I said before, I want a better expression out of that model than I've ever got. So someone like Tanya or Bearcore, those people that I can get shots out of quite easy. No, no, you've given me that before. Come on, I need next level. Right. I, you know, I want something different. We've got this. Right, it's going to be people who have never seen you before. They're going to love that this picture, but people have seen 30 of your shots. They're looking for you the next level, and that's what I'm trying to get. But what I'm doing, because I've actually looked at what, the year's going to be, I know that you know, 70% of my income is still gone for 21. I can't see me having that. I can't see traveling the world. I've lost all my commercial work overseas. I've lost all my workshop work overseas for 21. So I need to get that 70% back and I'm going to push it more into art. And that it's still aimed at stuff that an edgy advertiser is going to go, I want to use someone like that. And it's the perfect time, right? Because if everybody's moving over more and more to the safe stuff and the, the simplified stuff, and, and like we've, you know, I think we both agree, even being from vastly different parts of the world, like you get a summer 
So there's obviously huge differences between the way that you experience life and the way that I do. We, we just have a gray sky that's four foot off the floor the whole time. You actually get to experience the summer. But even from vastly different backgrounds, we both see that everything's become a bit simplified and cookie cutter. And being someone that now steps out from that and does something that's more provocative at a time when no one wants to, or, or people are afraid to, or people are just trying to be as safe as possible, is actually going to bring in so much more attention because you are going to stand out so much more. Yeah. And I'm also going to do some stuff I did not, that not many people have seen, which is mix photography and art together. Okay. And I've, I've done it a bit and I love it. And everybody who sees them up big just goes, oh my God, I can't see where the photography started and the art started. I cannot see the blend. How did you do that? And I've had a very, very uh, good Australian artist. He's very famous in Australia and America. Um, contact me and wanting to paint some of my portraitures. And then he's done some. He's done an amazing job of them. I actually love them to bits. He's a ripper of Beck. And I said to him, I want to do, and I showed him my blend work. And he goes, let's do this. You shoot it, I paint it, then you do a blend, reshoot it, and then re-blend my art into the reach. And it's things like that, which is just next level of visual art. So it's sort of taking a new area of visual arts. So taking the skills of photography, but then also taking the skills of being visually strong. Right. I tell you what, do you want to grab yourself a drink now? Because I feel bad that yeah, you're I'll sat quick, there without a drink. Yeah, I'll take a quick one. One sec. <laughs> okay, so we've got, we got a drink. We are back. <laughs> to, to obviously to hammer home a little bit here, the last, the last year has been pretty shit for most people, um, unless you work for Amazon. It feels like, well, maybe not work for Amazon, maybe owns Amazon is the correct terminology there. But it feels like now is the time you, you sound and then you sound energized, you sound excited to, to kind of get back to things. I certainly feel the same way. I'm desperate to be able to kind of get back and use my camera and start creating again. And I've put together a load of plans of things that I want to do. If we could use, I, I, I don't want to kind of steal your resources here, but you know, I've got Peter Coulson on, on the line. I really should be asking someone that really knows what they're doing about a couple of things. And when it comes to planning the next step, the next things that they want to do, for photographers that are looking to kind of come back with a bang and really hit the ground running, would you suggest like now's a good time to get mood boarding, to get really isolating ideas that you want to do, or is now just a time to just absorb as much photography and as much fashion or as much media as they can to get inspired generally? Um, there's nothing inspirational anywhere at the moment. Everything is G-rated, boring, cookie cutter <laughs> crap. So I would say if you want to get inspired, don't go to any sites like 500 Picks. Don't go near Facebook. Don't go near Instagram. Don't go near Pinterest. Get away from all of that stuff. Try and find – it really depends. I'm talking across the board. It mightn't be shooting women. It should be, could be doing landscape. could be doing anything. What I would suggest is go back 20 years. Find – do some Google image searches. Find an image you really like. You can then drag that image back into Google Image Search and then it'll bring up images like it. And one thing good about Google Image Search, it's actually not um, there's no, it's not G-rated. It will find whatever you want to find. So with that, you should be able to then get look at some of the people that had the freedom to create because I'm not seeing freedom to create at the moment at all. And that's not just in photography, it's in 
look at the music today. Yeah. Seriously. So I only have to mention five songs and then tell you to name me five songs in the last three years that would stand up to these five songs that I mentioned, and you won't be able to. Bohemian Rhapsody, number one. Right. Uh, Nights in White Satin. Right. Yeah, I can just go through each uh, stairway to heaven. I can go to. I, mean, I don't know if I could uh, name five songs in the last three years. <laughs> to be completely honest with you, but this is this is what I mean. It's all of that 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 beautiful depth breath. Breathing. Same with movies. Really, I struggle to find really good movies. And um, if anybody wants to watch some boring one and a half hour movie that you hardly see anything happen for the entire one and a half hours, a ghost story is just to die for. I'm sitting there watching this sheet in a morgue for five minutes. It didn't move. And I'm going, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Do you know I watched it from start to finish? Whereas you put on this thing that's got CGI and things flying everywhere and all this, I just get bored and walk away. Right. And these these things that have this depth, there was one that, um, oh, Under My Skin by, oh, stunning, uh, Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, yeah. I've got no idea what that movie's about. Completely I've got no idea. I got to the end and go, I don't know what started, finished. I got no story to it. It held me for the entire movie because I did not know what was going to ha- happen next. Yep. When I got to the end, oh, I wanted to watch it again to see if I missed something. And it's same with art now and same with photography. We need to get a depth into our photography and we did a YouTube thing the other day and I got a lot of praise from a lot of people that said, yeah, they agree with me that landscape photography is this pier that disappears in the background. They do it slow exposure to get all the blurred waves and everything. And it's just got, and you've seen a million of them and you go to a lake and the pebbles are razor sharp right at the camera, the lake and the lake curves around and the hills in the background, saturated colors. But I've seen a million of them. Right. And nobody would actually hang any of these on the wall except the person who f- photographed them. So you're never going to make a living out of it and you're never going to get anything more than, oh, that's pretty. Right. So you've got to start creating things that people want to look at, things that have a depth. It's this, I get really passionate because there's so many people that come to me struggling with their modeling, with acting, all these different things, even some of the musicians, and that they just won't take a risk. They want to go safe. Try something different. Do just put it out there. If it fails, it's a fail still better than doing nothing. Yeah. At least you did something. Yeah. And with with photographers, I think you're so much better to sit in a room on your own and just see some images and start right. I, a lot of my images come from one words. So I only have to say flowers and I know exactly my photo that I'm going to shoot. Right. Umbrella. I've got this whole series of shots based. Nobody else is going to guess what these shots are. These are already ones that I have in my head. And I will wake up. I might have had a dream or I might have seen them or something. And I'll, t- and I'll write a word down. And every time I see that word, it reminds me of the image that I saw. And it goes into my you know, bank of things I need to create. Well, was it with like shooting a series or an editorial or however the the terminology is let's let's go with a series so if you're shooting a series like the umbrella series or anything like that to you is there is there a way it can go wrong 
because obviously what a lot of people focus on is outside interpretation of what they're doing. And, and with you, I definitely don't get the impression that you give all that much of a, of a fuck what anyone thinks. But when it, how do you, I guess what I'm asking is how do you kind of regulate yourself on that when it's not working? How do you, because it's quite easy for someone to, to say, oh, that worked and pat themselves on the back because no one else is, is kind of judging them on it. No one else is, is having a say in it. So how do you how do you stay honest with that? Um, if I'm prepared to print it on a t-shirt and wear it, I'm happy with it. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Fair it's, <laughs> I, I don't shoot for anybody else, and I really can't push this enough that um, my man cave, which has got my sim car in there, it's a whole another story. But that room that nobody ever goes into is wallpapered in all my favorite photos that I've taken. So it's not there to show off to anybody else in the world. It's there for me to enjoy pictures I love that I've taken. The ability that I captured this expression, the ability I got this. So we now bring this into a series and I've got a whole board in my um, photo catalog, my iPhoto catalog, which is broken down. There's a thing called series, their series I'm working on. And one of my series is shoes. Right. So the models are wearing nothing but their favorite pairs of shoes. And 90% of them are G-rated because otherwise we can't share them. Right. And the 10% aren't, that aren't G-rated will go into exhibitions and on blogs and things like that. But it's then coming up with unique ways of only having a sh- pair of shoes. Well, this is one thing I would say about anyone that's... that's I can't imagine I'm introducing anybody to Peter Coulson for fuck's sake, but for for the sake of people that aren't familiar or this is their first introduction i'd say like immediately just go to the website that's that's it's always been in the history of my computer i think for the last five or six years since i first found you was to to be able to go to to look at your work really where the majority of your work is and and if i'm completely honest the better stuff is because like you said that you're you're with you you have to withhold so much stuff due to the restrictions of somewhere like instagram Um, but i did notice going through your website a couple of weeks ago i think it was and I'm looking now at it. Is there's some there's some film pictures? I did it today. Okay, okay. Well, that, that's explained why I've just had to do so much scrolling. But I did actually notice some some film pictures making an appearance. Is is film something the, that we're potentially looking at going back to at some point this year? Um, I've been shooting film for a long time. You just haven't been um, haven't been sending them to a lab to get processed. <laughs> so they just sat around. And then, just well, a scanning time for me to do the last batch, and I think I had ten rolls like that that came back from the lab. It was two days on the Imacon scanner scanning them. Right. I don't have. I had that time because of COVID. Right. You know, I did. I didn't even have that. I put two rolls of film in two days ago. Uh, one of those rolls was shot about two weeks ago. The other one was shot about two months ago. Um, I knocked off a roll of film yesterday. I oh, know, day before yesterday. I, I am doing a little bit more of that. Um, commercially, film just doesn't cut it. But when I do my film work, it's nothing gets done to it. It is how it was done, unless I want to have it reprinted. Now I'll get some of the dodge and burn it. But a lot of my film work, I try and best be true to this is it because you might have noticed that we used old film. It had all crackles in it. Yep. We purposely don't roll our film up tight so we get light bleed. We do all the things you shouldn't do. 
uh, before we scanned it, some of it went into a vacuum bag full of dust and got shot around a little bit. <laughs> then we scanned it. So the opposite of hours and hours of trying to get dust off, that's not what film, to me, that's not what film is. Film has got dust and scratches and pops on it. Right. But yeah, no, I, I do I do love film. But one of the things I'm, I'm really enjoying is with the Hasselblad X, they've got a new little extension tube, which is sort of like a booster, which I can put my 100 mil F2.2 on it. It now becomes an F1.880 mil. Yeah. And it gives me, it feels like film. It seriously feels like film. Someone did a review on it on YouTube. And they complained about, you know, it's not as sharp as this. And everybody's comments was the pictures looked better. Yeah. Who cares? It's not as sharp. The pictures, it just has this. And I've started shooting a lot with it for that emotional work that I'm doing. I'm actually really enjoying just shooting it fully wide open at 1.8. Well, you shot, um, there was a video on your YouTube channel a while back, which was a beauty shoot with a, with a blonde model. And you put a... You'd adapt the lens onto that so you could shoot wide open. Yeah, the Otis, on, on the Otis 100. There you go. That's it. And you got that that phenomenal softness. That like the fall off was just stunning. It was so beautiful. And I actually had noticed that there was. I think there was one comment on that where people where someone was saying, "Ah, oh, it's it's you know it's not worth it because the image isn't sharp. And why would you take <laughs> a camera that's." that's got the ability to be that sharp and, and do something like that. And I just think, were you not looking at the images that were being gotten from doing that? Like that's something I've not really ever gotten my head around with photographers full stop. I mean, I, I, had, I had a failed attempt at uh, trying to get my head around the camera club um, in 2019. That didn't go particularly well. Um, I gave up on that pretty quickly. And quite often when I speak to photographers who contact me about the podcast or anything like that, there's, there are quite a lot of people that jump straight on sort of technical aspects. And I've one of my most common complaints that um, I've received for the podcast was just that I don't talk enough about gear and I don't talk enough about techniques as if it's like I should be asking you what aperture you're shooting something at when it's just not particularly relevant unless we're looking at the shot and you have to mimic the exact lighting conditions. And uh, like in the case of like your wonderful studio, if you're using natural light coming in, you know, I can't tell you the quantity of light that's in that room to be able to ask you what aperture you're shooting something at that's going to be relatable to someone that's in Stockport or someone that's in Paris. It's never going to be relatable. So I think that's a really big problem with photography is, is photographers that focus way too much on technicalities that really can't translate even if you've learned what they were. Look, I, I was a little bit like this, and every now and then I can see I drift a touch like this. I know that I'd be watching something like I was watching uh, Peter Lindbergh shoot the the last uh, Pirelli Colony shot. And I was really, what lens is that? What what difference does it make? It's not. That is not it, the thing. Is what I, I try and point out to people: the art of being a great photographer is the art of capturing something. Right. So, and I've seen this commercially and I've seen this non-commercially. So commercial, I've got a very close friend who's always struggled as a portrait family. She's a female, single mum, four kids, that type of thing, studio. And she got really upset one day and she rang me up and said she did this beautiful shoot with a client out in the paddock parks where she shoots. The client came, did the sitting and she thought, you know, is a $2,000 guaranteed sale and the end of the client viewing the pictures goes I'm really disappointed and 
the photography. These are perfect, like they're sharp, they're beautiful color, everything. She goes and showed a picture on her iPhone of her daughter eating an ice cream and the expression on her face. Right. Captured the moment. Yeah. Whereas these other things were like stale, computer-generated, everything is perfect. They're not the person's real kids because they're soulless. There's nothing. might be technically perfect. might even won an award at one of Australia's big awards in the camera clubs. But would the client pay a cent for it? No, because it had it was soulless. And I think that's it's not what camera you use, what, not what lens you use. It's the ability to capture something. And if it's a little bit soft or the color balance is wrong, that does not matter. But you captured that emotion. And some of the greatest photos in the world and some of the so many fashion covers are out of focus. Go have a look at, at a Peter Lindbergh exhibition and you'll be de- devastated how much out of focus. I wasn't <laughs> devastated. I was actually loving the fact that looking at a one and a half meter high picture going, nothing is sharp. This is to die for. I love this. <laughs> well, the, the, I definitely, I, I made a YouTube video a while back about five recommendations of things to watch on, on YouTube and the, 20, uh, the 2016 Prelly calendar, I think was the last Peter Lindbergh one, I actually had the behind the scenes of that in there. It's a fascinating watch. And admittedly, as much as I am making fun of people that focus on technicalities, I was doing what you were doing, was trying to figure out everything that he was doing from a reverse engineer point of view. Um, I actually, um, years ago, bought the, I think at the time it was called RGG Edu. It's now called yep. ProEDU, um, yep. which is a much better name because I had no idea what RGG stood for. That was the initials of the two owners. Okay, well, there you go. You just Robin, the, the, this Robin whole podcast is worth it just for that. <laughs> so uh, I, I remember buying your RGG Edu course, and I, and to I mean, I would say to this day, but it's not like I've shot for a while. But t- t- up to my most recent shoot in studio, I'm still taking so much of what was in that into every time I pick up a camera and I'm photographing people. It's been invaluable to me. And um, you haven't. I want to put this on the record really quickly because. I will get questions about this. You haven't asked me to do anything about this, but I, I want to. Um, you're doing Inspire, which you mentioned earlier. And I kind of had a look through the other day. I've not been in the in the financial position thanks to the last 12 months to actually join up. But as soon as I'm back on my feet, I do fully intend to. Um, I do feel like uh, it's a really surprisingly huge place for people to go and find out lots of information, but beyond just where do you put this light? Like all the stuff that we've talked about so far, you know, managing, working with models, creating the image. The, the, it feels like from the idea's inception all the way up to the final product, everything's kind of covered on Inspire. How much of your time has that taken up over the course of um, the time that it's been running? And, and I guess you still enjoy it as much because it's obviously teaching's an interesting thing for, for anyone to dive into when they're good at something. Um, I love teaching. I hate editing videos on tutorials, but that's a different thing. <laughs> like you've just got me out of eight hours of editing all day today doing tutorials. But that's just a the big thing. The RGG or the Pro Ed, please nobody contact them or contact me. That doesn't exist anymore. You cannot buy it anywhere. It is we had a legal thing and they were not allowed to sell it anymore and I had it deleted. Okay. So that doesn't exist anymore. Inspire. And the other thing is, even though a lot of people liked it, I hated it. It wasn't what I do. It was what I was being told to do. Right. So I had it. I did it this way, but they wanted me to direct it and do it this way. And I'm thinking, that's not how I do it. 
So from that side of things, I didn't feel it was me. It was well produced. They, you know, they had five or six cameras everywhere. They, that job, they edited it beautiful, sound and all of that. That's not me. Um, Inspire is a little bit rawer. It's a lot rawer. So it's you know a gimbal, one camera sitting somewhere else, little lapel mics. That's it. But you actually, it's like you're standing in the room with us while we're doing photo shoots or while we're interviewing models or while we're interviewing clients or hair and makeup. It's, it's not just about the shooting or lighting setups. It's more about the whole picture about, you know, we interview a lot of models. We, you know, hair and makeup people, stylists, we've had clients on board and you get to watch a commercial shoot from start to finish. We had one commercial shoot where the a uh, lady who owned the design company had just had a baby and was stuck at home. So we did it all and then we Skyped her with some pictures. And this is all on the tutorial. She, you get to see her starting to cry and say she's never coming to the studio again. She's just going to leave it for me in, the, for in future. It's that type of stuff right through to very basic e-commerce. And we did, we've got three or four editorials on shooting e-commerce on iPhones and things like that for the models who are those influencers. Right. But it's just going through all that stuff in a raw way. And look, I really enjoy doing them. It has become, I would say it's about one third of my income now. From So it's this backup income, but I'm not doing it for that. I actually do it because I love it. I've had opportunities to expand it tenfold, but then it's not mine again. They're going to, they want to fluff it up and they want to do all this like it take the editing off me, but it's not going to be the product I want to put out there. The product I want out there is so people feel like they're standing in my studio. We're being inappropriate. We're just doing what we do. We make mistakes. <laughs> we bump into things. We drink, whatever. It's just really how we work. So people can say, see that you don't have to have all this pretentious crap. You can just dumb things really down and be so unprofessional and still create really good images and keep clients really, really happy. Well, I feel like that's the charm of your the live streams, especially on YouTube. I, I, it's one of my favorite things to watch. Um, I do struggle a little bit with the time zone because it's always literally just as I'm about to go to bed, I think, is when you're about to go live. And I guess that's the problem with being from a terrible place like England is that we always seem to be out of time zone for anything cool that's happening. But you have this, um, like you, the way you put it, it almost feels like it's, um, like it's a workshop or like I'm an, an extra hand in the studio, like I'm interning or something and I'm just there to see a shoot happen. And it's, you know, the, there's always, I mean, there's always a rather ridiculously large glass of wine, it seems to be for a, for one person. And, <laughs> but that, that's, that's the, I mean, I think that's why the live streams are so popular. And I think also in a kind of weird sort of juxtaposition, they're also a massive hidden gem for, for portrait photographers that haven't seen them or fashion photographers or people photographers of any type to watch the the live streams on your YouTube channels is a really big deal because it's like you said, it's just seeing things without it being polished. And um, there's a phrase that's doing the rounds at the moment, which I guess is to kind of try and uh, combat the self-esteem issue that's coming out of, out of what's gone on for the last year. But it's basically saying people need to stop comparing their day-to-day life to other people's highlight reel. Because everyone's trying yeah. to put out the best version of whatever they are. And in most cases, they're just outright lying. Whereas with something like your live stream, you're showing it as it is. Like you said, it's it's all of the inappropriateness. It's all of the laughs. It's all of the jokes. It's the images that aren't working. You actually acknowledge when things 
need to be adjusted. You talk about it. It's not like everything gets set up ready, then the cameras roll and you're like, oh, look, I just happened to have taken the perfect picture on the first go. How amazing. And then that's it. That's what I love about it. Yeah, well, the, what I've finished today, so we we did one today. We filmed, I think we filmed for about three hours last week, and it was about mixed light. So the whole tutorial is just about using mixed light. So we're using natural light, flashlight, and HMI constant light all at the same time. Wow. Because I wanted to shoot at 1.8. So I wanted to have a certain fall off. But So it was how we built built the set behind the model and set up the light in front and some of the stupid things we did. Like one of the things that is so unprofessional, we just got a, like a bit oversized beauty dish, silver thing, and put it on a table to use that as a bounce. Right. But that's actually what I do on a shoot. If I can find a quick way to, oh, we'll just drop that. Oh, that works perfect. And so what goes on inspires like three episodes of it and it goes for the three episodes go for about 40 minutes what's going on youtube with a bit of banter at the start and the 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 start and the end and i actually shot some film and the youtube one nice that went for about 17 minutes so it's a much more we just sort of cut out all a little i moved this light one millimeter i did this so it just made it a bit quicker for youtube because it more as a teaser for what we do on inspire but at the end of the day, it was no different to what I would have done if there was no cameras. It was exactly our process that this is the type of feel we want to try and do. Let's build it from scratch. Well, I think everyone that's um, interested in learning about portrait photography, fashion photography, whatever, however you want to define it, because I know that people get offended by the wrong terminology. But if anyone wants to learn how to take really great pictures of people, I would suggest that they go over to Inspire and sign up immediately. I can't believe how generous you are with your time. You're you're far too kind. Um, and you, you're Australian. We've spoken now, I think, over the course of two podcasts for close to five hours, four or five hours. It's crazy how much time you've given up. And it's, I enjoy it's, this. It's, really, I, I it's massively appreciated. It. I mean, I give you a drinks break, so I guess I win some brownie points there. Yeah. But <laughs> I really do appreciate you taking the time. I want as many people to go and find you. I, I can't believe anyone doesn't know who you are or where to find you, but we need to tell them where to go especially for Inspire. So please link away, tell people where they can find you. Well, no, just if they just type my name, Peter Colson, in Google, I'll find all our places. But go on to YouTube. Just go to Peter Colson, I think it's Peter Colson Photographer on YouTube and look through there. And if you like what you see, maybe jump on Inspire for a month. It's going to cost you, I think it's about £25. I can't remember what, somewhere like that. But it's, it's more... I mightn't be your type because I am the type of person that says, I don't like camera club people. I don't like rules. I don't like, you can crop wherever you freaking want to crop. You can use whatever color balance you like. If you purposely put it out of focus, there's so many amazing photos that were purposely taken out of focus. So I don't have rules. And it's more about um, what you see through your eyes. Is this what I want to create? It's not what he wants. You're not doing it for another photographer. Right. You should be photographing for yourself. And if I do anything, all I want to do is get photographers learning. Stop trying to please other photographers. Please yourself with your photo. Don't care what anyone else says. If you love it, don't ask anyone's opinion. I don't even, I refuse to critique people's uh, portfolios. Refuse. You didn't take it for me. Why do you want my comments? Right. Do you like it? Oh, you don't like it? Well, delete it. Don't show the world a picture you don't like. 
<laughs> it's really simple. Don't ask for me to be yes, man. And I can easily be nice and say, yes, that's pretty. That's. I'd rather you look at it yourself and go, is this the best you can do? And if you go, yeah, it is, be proud of it. And if you say, no, it isn't, well, why are you showing the world? Anyway. Well, talented, annoyingly friendly, and a Scotch drinker. I don't think it gets much better. Thank you so much for taking the time. Anytime. Anytime.